Most people with even a casual interest in politics have heard the name Chris Matthews, and for a generation of political insiders and junkies like me, his show Hardball was the go-to source for political discussion and analysis. What some people don't know is that before it was a TV show, Hardball was a book based on Chris Matthews' experiences as House Speaker Tip O'Neill's right-hand man, and it was not just any book. When I was in graduate school at Harvard's Kennedy School studying under presidential advisor David Gergen, yeah, name dropping everywhere here, it was required reading. It was literally required reading. Gergen said it was the best practical book on politics ever written, and he was right. Longtime listeners to this show have probably heard Chris Matthews' words coming out of my mouth, and they didn't even know it. Hang the lantern on your problem. Always concede on principle. Hire your boss intelligently. I've done that most of the time. When I became a congressional chief of staff, I would tell young staffers, read this book. It is the go-to source for everything you have to know, all of which is why it is a privilege to have this very special Coffee with Chris edition of Beyond Politics with me, Matt Robeson, and my co-host, former U.S. Congressman Paul Hodes at our old stamping grounds here in the heart of New Hampshire on primary day. Chris Matthews. Here we are in the center of New Hampshire. The center of New Hampshire. Simply, my old boss used to say about New Hampshire, he says, New Hampshire, they don't even like pox up there. Pox. Yeah. <laughs> they don't want to get any kind of socialism. If you have a pox, that's government. We don't need that. It's terrible. Pox. Definitely the vibe. I love the way he said it, pox. pox. Oh, my gosh. I, all right, look, we're in the midst. We're literally in the heart of the primary yeah. here right now. Uh, a lot going on. Polls are suggesting that this may be a done deal. Nothing's ever set in stone. What do you think? If you were kind of framing the news story, the central core story of this primary so far, what do you think it's been? I hate to be a downer, and I'm not a Debbie Downer. I'm a rah-rah guy. I, I had hoped that Nikki Haley was going to surprise everybody up here because you have that this wonderful history going back to Estes Kefauver knocking off Harry Truman and Henry Cabot Lodge bringing in Ike here to get him on the ballot. And of course, Paul G. McCarthy and uh, and Bill Clinton and with the comeback kid and Hillary Clinton becoming a bit emotional up here. And all of a sudden, people said, "Let's give her another look." And and Obama had I liked Obama would have a little bit of uh, aloofness, and he said she's likable enough. And then on that Saturday, after like a three-hour town hall, got emotional in a way that people said, "Human beings here." Yeah, I got the feeling, and I don't have anything against her. Uh, I get the feeling with uh, Nikki Haley that she doesn't bring herself into the room with her. And when you don't bring yourself into the room, people can tell. I mean, even if you say Hillary Clinton, about half of that was calculated, half of it was self-supported politically, and the other half was real. That's partly real, and that's something. And you can say, there's a person here. Okay, she's ambitious, but yeah, she came in and showed her emotions. When Reagan said, I paid for this microphone. Now, he did get that from Spencer Tracy, right, right, the right. union, but he did deliver it really well. And he blew uh, President Bush the first right out of the water with that line. And Bush, who didn't have a lot of uh, spontaneity, wasn't able to handle it. But up here, you should have spontaneity. Everybody's watching. Uh, they pay attention. Uh, they have a little crankiness, which is good. I love it, New England. I love you can go to everywhere in this state. If you have a car, that's all you need. If you have a car, you can go to every event. And you can go. I, we went up here in 92, and I was riding around with Walter Isaacson, the author, and Lawrence O'Donnell. And, I mean, it was an amazing group, Sid Blumenthal. And we just went to event. 
And at one point, Rick Hertzberg, my old speechwriting buddy from President Carter's uh, land, he said, nobody in our generation could do what Clinton could do, which is going around and meet everybody in the round with problems up the kazoo. He had Jennifer Flowers. He had the draft letter where he obviously got out of the draft and cheated on his deal with Colonel Holmes. He was caught dead to rights. And he declared himself, I'm the New Hampshire's made me the comeback kid. Right. And he did it at 10 o'clock at night. The next day I was at W, the Good Morning America. And you are. And I was there. I was there. Here's a great seat. I'm sitting in there. In walks Clinton, coat and tie on, eight blue suits around him, all staffers, and goes up to a pile of donuts and grabs one for himself. About a half hour later, Paul Tongas, the guy who won the New Hampshire presidential primary, walks in with a book bag over his shoulder, and he's got a kid with him, another guy with him, and he comes up to me, a commentator, and says, could I have a donut? <laughs> who won that? Who won that primary? Bill Clinton won that primary. Right. He took it away. He just took it away from Paul Sagas. It's, it's amazing. The, your story about Hillary Clinton really resonates with me because I was a co-chair for Obama back then in 2008. I was a surrogate all over. And, and everybody was asking me. Axelrod was asking me. Pluff was asking me. Barack was asking me. So how are we doing? What what's good? What's going to happen? Because I'm the New Hampshire guy, right? I'm a New Hampshire congressman. And I kept saying, I think we're good. I think we're good. And I was saying that right up until primary day. And then on primary day, all of a sudden, I hear get some news that there's a new poll out from St. A's. I think that all of a sudden I said, something's going on. Something's going on. And by the end of the night, that night, they were saying, so what should we say when we would go out to Nashua? It was really, it was a quick turnaround. Do you think, I mean, you're just guessing because her emotions were were interesting and real. Right. Like when Muskie cried, supposedly, that hurt him. Right. Because David Broder of the Washington Post said he cried. And later on, he took it back. But we all know what Muskie, he was a, he's a great boss. He was my boss for three years. He's a tough, intemperate guy. He was, he got very angry at times. And he got to the point of bursting with intemperance yeah. and he would be, he would get close to tears. Right. And, and that, because the, the lobe had been at the, the union leader had made fun of his wife and said, she spoke crudely and she smoked or something like that. It was all personal stuff. Things are really different. Now we got a supposed two person race on the Republican side. There's nothing happened on the democratic side because there's Dean Steph, Phillips and Marianne Phillips, Williamson. Dean Phillips. Yeah. I mean, okay. I got this speech for you. If I win New Hampshire, I, here's what I'm ready, okay? Yeah. First of all, I got to get the accent right. First of all, they took away the shoe industry. Front south, down to Carolinas. Then they took away the textile industry. Now they took it away a primary. I mean, I'd, I'd make into an argument. i say, get back here. I don't care how they readjust the schedule, but put us in the game. You're sitting here with one of the great skeptics, Matt Robeson, about the New Hampshire primary. I'm going to I'm throwing him under the bus. The history starts with 52, right. with two two primaries that really mattered, Ike over Taft. And that was Henry Cabot Lodge's work. And then and then you've got Estes Kefauver, who had made his name on national television, going after the crooks, the big city crooks, the labor unions who had worked their way into a lot of Democratic city councils. And then you have Henry Cabot Lodge again as a write in. Beat everybody. Nobody wanted to see Goldwater versus Johnson. Nobody had fallen in love with Johnson yet. 
So wait, oh man, this guy could do it. In 68, you had 90, 42% for Gene. Within 230 votes, if you count both parties, that was a lot of history, and it kept going. One of the really interesting things that came out of the polling, the entrance (laughs) polling for the Iowa caucuses, and this got totally spun the wrong way. I think I heard you say this on Morning Joe last week. The entrance polls out of ABC News going into the Iowa caucuses. 62%. First, yes, 62% thought that he was the legitimate president, and 68% say they believe that Donald Trump would still be fit to be president if he were convicted of any one of the 91 counts pending against him. But you know what that means mathematically? One third of Iowa Republican voters do not believe he would be fit to be president. That is a headline. Did did the media miss it? Maybe we didn't miss it, but maybe we worry whether people come home anyway. And first of all, if I'm the judge in that case and he gets convicted, I would probably put him in jail. Because I think it confuses the public to have a guy on the loose out on bail running for president. I just think it's absurd. If you're facing criminal charges and you stand correct, convicted, why should it be different for him? I do worry about people. That's, I have a brother like this. He always says the same thing. Uh, how you doing, Jim? How's Trump? I'm for Trump and so are all my friends. It's a societal thing. I call this the puddle effect. You go out in western Pennsylvania, out in the country, beyond Philly, and in Pittsburgh, and you get people, it was 68% most of the elections for Trump. It's probably 75 now, because the puddle effect, the more it rains, the more the puddle gets bigger. And, and there's nothing like that in the cities. So this election is going to be very ferocious, even with him, as Tip would say, in the can, because of the loyalty and the hand. The college, non-college thing is very disturbing. Right. Yeah, yeah. Because all my non-college, I know we'd never call them that way, but my relatives are all non-college, most of them. And I wouldn't even bring up politics for them. I don't want, because I know it's- They're Trump all the way. This thing about the border, and it's a terrible situation, that flow that's got to be arrested to some reasonable number. I think Biden should be leading this instead of saying, I'll go along with the Republicans. Bill Clinton, go back and look at the tapes. Very tough. Barbara Jordan, very tough on illegal immigration. Robert Rice, she's a very academic guy, said there's the older middle class concern is the mob at the gate, the border, and the rod at the top. Right. That's the concern. The rod is the big shots taking advantage of them. So you get the president of Harvard, the president of Penn. This is a perfect metaphor for reality. So if you're an average guy, you say, wait a minute, they're coming in the door and the top guys are screwing us. I can see the attitude. I think there's a lot of suspicion of the academic elite because the average person feels what Hillary said about them. You're a, what's the word she used? Deplor- deplorable. Deplorable. Yeah. A labor leader guy in Iowa. What about this deplorables thing? Yeah. Wait a minute. How can you defend it? You mean working class people are below us? Yeah. Thank you. So you right. think you're better than me? Good. You think you're better than me? Go somewhere else because I'm not going to be with you. I'm not going to be with you because you think you're better than me than I'm not. You're not my friend. And I think that's a lot of it. I can't judge it by economics entirely or, but there's a sense of when you're in the Washington bubble or the New York bubble, people talk about, I can't understand these people. I don't understand these Trump people. What they know any, do you have any in your family? No, I don't think I do. I don't. And they really talk <laughs> in a tepid, arrogant level of sophistication that is the reason for this. But Biden has always pitched himself as because, the well, as the working class guy. Yeah, He's the well, Irish working class. That was him when he, ran in, uh, when he went in. He was a moderate and 
I think he had to retool himself for the for the incumbency. I spent my whole life as a moderate Democrat defending the left wing as part of the team. I just, and they're part of the team. I'm with them sort of, and I've got Bernie and Elizabeth. I can always say I can live with Elizabeth. Bernie was a little hard for me to take. I said, Let's take a break. We'll be right back. You're not afraid to basically call bullshit he did, on, he, on politics. Matt, he did it to me. He per, did he did, personally, in 2008, you and I, you were interviewing me. I was I was the Obama guy. I was president of the freshman class. I was a New Hampshire congressman. We were right here in the center of New Hampshire in that big room back there where NBC is set up. And we were talking about the war in Iraq. And I and you said, what about the war in Iraq? And I said, it's a conflict. And you said, wait a second. It's not a conflict. It's a war. I said, they didn't declare war. They said, and you said, that, come on, that doesn't matter. Don't try to don't try to pussyfoot around this. Don't the try to coalition bullshit. of the willing. Don't try. Now is the coalition of the willing. Don't try to bullshit me. But the point is, you held my feet to the fire. I was a politician. I have to it. tell you that the whole Democratic line fell in line for that war. And I tell you, they say things like, "Oh, I didn't support the war. I just supported the military option." Yeah, yeah, but like they weren't going to. let the guy borrow the car to rob the bank. The point, I guess, what I wanted to say is, you as a journalist. Hold people's feet to the fire. If you take a look at what's happening this year, you look at the Brett Baer interview of Trump where he lets never mention January 6th. Say say anything. The Kristen Welker interview with Nikki, was it Nikki Haley? Elise Stefanik. With Elise Stefanik, right. Insurrectionist hostages. And there's been great footage, the still image of her cowering in the chamber. Hostages Hostages. uh, also, when the word was used for the Israeli prisoners by Hamas. Right. Very recently. So the word was in the air. Hostages means those people. And, and I would say 200 people have pled guilty now with, with the government, with uh, the U.S. attorneys and everybody. 200 people have pled guilty for their felony acts that day and 700 altogether. Right. And, and those I interviewed uh, Jim Comey. And this is what's really going on. At the same time, Trump is dancing around and saying he's innocent. He can do anything he wants. In the real law and order world, these people are facing justice. And so you've got seven people have pled. They're scared to death. They're facing prison. And 200 are, are getting prison, but they're getting their pleas to, to reduced, probably. And so it's a real thing. And that's why you have, I got to believe that Trump is facing a judge. It could be in March where he could actually get serious a serious conviction. Do you think the journalists today are, but up, not, are up to holding his feet to the fire? Well, they don't get near them, probably. Uh, I, I hear you have to go two and a half hours tonight to get to them up at Lanconia. I mean, just to punish the press. Come here and cool your heels for a couple hours. He's vulnerable. But I don't know. He, I, I'm not sure Trump is going to have to debate Biden. Biden apparently doesn't want to debate him. And I mean, I don't I wouldn't if I were the I mean, what's the upside? He'll say anything he wants. Right. Remember during the debate, he called, told Biden to shut up. Yeah. I mean, shut up. How do you get away with that? I think that's really Paul's question is not to put you in the position of having to criticize a former. You know, I know what they I know what they do. There was so much of the press is this way. You can watch Laura Ingram and she never mentioned what the lawyers were arguing that day. You mentioned that said he would get away with anything. They just skipped that over. Never talked about the content of the hearing that day. It wasn't comfortable. They even, she's smart enough to know what she was the Dartmouth. She knows what's going on. She couldn't talk. She didn't say, we're not going to talk about that part because it's idiotic. We can't play defense. And I will say this on MSNBC. They don't talk about the millions of people crossing the border. And when 80% of the cases are not really viable for asylum seekers or anything, 
by any standard. They're not, they shouldn't be doing it. But the people don't talk about murder in the big cities. Philadelphia had 500 murders a year this year. 50,000 people have applied to carry guns. Doesn't that grab you? A reasonable sized city and 50,000 people have to buy guns. It's look, at, look at parts of San Francisco. Do you want to show? Just show if this guy, Gavin Newsom, runs for the presidency. Yeah. I would, I just would say, bring the cameras to the most beautiful city in America. Show them what it looks like now. Why don't you cover it? Because it's, the liberals won't want to hear it. Why are you talking about crime? All right, let me push you well, on something not... from your book. Let me push you on something from your book. I've already cited some of your chapters. No, it's nice. Hardball, by it's it's a good book. They've got me doing one now for Simon & Schuster, which is I'm struggling with because I don't know how this election turns out. But it's basically, I did the rules of Hardball. Yes. This is about the people. So I'm writing about 28 different politicians that I worked with enough to, ju to judge them by the cut of their jib or whatever. And I could sort of know something about them. So it's, it's fascinating. Here's a great question for you. Ready? This is the, the four that are in my proposed best strategists, the smartest pals. Okay. Mm -hmm. And what were, and, and, and in each case, what was it that they did specifically that was a genius? Okay. I'll give you one. John F. Kennedy Jr. No, John F. Kennedy himself. Paul, John F. Kennedy. What was it that he did in his career? that made him a strategic genius. Uh, not hanging out with Marilyn Monroe. No, that's all true, by the way. I will go with, he ran in the primaries, unlike Johnson, who relied on his fellow senators to deliver states for him. He contested the primaries, and he was the first to recognize that the, like West Virginia, for example, that he could make real inroads under the new Yeah, because, how, because the other guys didn't run, because he went out there with Larry O'Brien from Springfield. Right. And, and Larry O'Brien would say, I said that in the book, that he'd go out in the country and he'd be, he could say, where's everybody else? He couldn't find anybody else. He, but I'll tell you what he did, because this is, he'll never forget this. So he did this at a particular time, eight o'clock in the morning after he won the nomination. This is after he got the big applause and everything. He got up early at eight o'clock and he called who? Johnson. Yes. He called Lyndon Johnson and he said, I'll be at your room at 10 o'clock. And he offered the vice presidency. Yeah. Bobby wouldn't have done that in a million years. Bobby was a man of sentiment and love. Jack was coldly calculating, frightening, very charming, like Trump is, very charming, coldly calculating. Mm. This guy at Johnson had trashed his father as an appeaser, as a Hitler friend. He had trashed Jack. He threw he had John Connolly go out and say he had Addison's disease. It was personal and attack. And Jack felt none of that. He just said. I need Johnson to win the Electoral College. And this is what he got. Both Carolinas, Georgia, Alabama, Arkansas, Louisiana, and Texas. Right, That's right. what he got. He restored the old solid South, even though he was Roman Catholic. And he could do that because he was a genius. And Bobby spent the whole day trying to talk him out of it, but he couldn't. And, by, and he was getting wobbly himself because it was a very dangerous decision. But if he had put Scoop Jackson on the ticket, yeah. And right. I actually heard that afternoon. I was a kid. I heard them start to rev up the band, and they go, "He'll go win down to Washington, Kennedy and Jackson." They having had the they had Scoop's name in it, in wow. the lyrics, and he wow. also had promised it to Stu Symington the night before. He had to take that back. This was one of the chapter titles, this, of Hardball. 
This was oh. keep your enemies in front of you. That's true. But he did more than keep them in front of him. He made yeah. a president of the state. Let me ask you about another one. All right. You say leave no shot unanswered. Chapter seven. Yeah. In hardball. And you suggest that means three, three tackles. That means if Timothy takes a shot at you, and it's not true. And you don't, and you want to argue it. You, you got to respond like the swift boat of uh, Shrum and, and John Kerry. Uh, I don't know if there's any way to kill it because they lied. They they got people who didn't like the fact that John Kerry had come out against the war after his service, and it made it look like they were attacking his service. It was brilliant. These guys were really, whatever their mood was, they had a problem with him because he came out against the war. He said, we're shooting at cows and stuff like that. That they really made it look like he had not served well. He had not served his country. It was devastating. And I think that they should, that was pretty powerful stuff. It was the Swift boat was so much like a PT-109. Right. It's so significant as a right. metaphor for a gallant service. When I once talked to John about it, he's a normal guy. He, 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 once you get past the upper crust part of him, he talked about it, it was fine. Just riding up the road with your shirt off and getting a sunburn and getting a tan and you're listening to rock and roll music. It was like apocalypse now mm. in the early part of the war. This is one of the tactics you talk about. It's jujitsu. It's classic but it took, political uh, jujitsu. It took nerve to go out there and be facing the enemy fire like he did. Right. And that was real. And the guys that didn't do it, like, I mean, I didn't do it. I went to Peace Corps, but let's just die. Guys like Cheney. How many draft deferments did he get? Shut up. I mean, who are you to right. even talk about this? And W right? Is they jujitsued Kerry's greatest political strength. That was a smart move. Go for the strongest point. Go for the that's another Lee Atwater thing, which is find out the state they know they need and take it away from right. like he would say, find out if they think they need Michigan and grab Michigan early on in the fight. It's ingenious because it's it's work. It just breaks your heart. How many times have Democrats given up on Ohio early in the game? Like all of a sudden, it's October 10th and they're giving up on Ohio. They're pulling TV out of Ohio. Oh, that tells you something. Yeah, right. No. It's, an, it's a quadrennial ritual. But okay, the tactics you suggest, jujitsu, right? Ridicule, Rich. catch them in a lie. Do these things, they don't- Ridicule was the, was the ER speech, the FALA speech. Right. In 1944, he, yes, gave one, right. he gave one speech in the entire election, and Judge Roseman wrote it for him. He was a really good speechwriter, wrote it for Roosevelt, and he delivered it brilliantly. Right. And my dog is Scottish, but he, my dog is very upset about this waste of government. <laughs> I mean, everything about it. And it was at the Teamsters in black tie. Why don't these yeah. tactics seem to work against Trump? The jujitsu, the ridicule, the catch him in a lie. I mean, they've caught Trump in literally 30,000 lies, and it doesn't seem to catch up with him. If you were reissuing Hardball today, would you rewrite any of those rules? I would if I would ever have a position to do this. If I were working with uh, Kamala Harris, for example, I would give her a few jokes. I mean, I, it sounds so infantile, but just a couple little one-liners like that, like, about his orange face or something, or something about his makeup, or just this crippling one-liners and use them sparingly, but enough to say, look, I'm in this, I'm here too. I'm here. I'm vice president. I'm here. I'm not just formally here. Right. I'm actually here. And I'm watching this guy. And I think he's clownish. And I'd remind people of that in light ways. They don't have to be Don Rickles zingers, but they could be Bob Hope, light, lighthearted zingers, and people would love it. Because it wouldn't all be indictment. She's too much the indicter. Oh, taking away our rights to our bodies and all that. Okay, that's all true. But you got to lighten it up a little with some, put some icing on the cake. Because people are not going to come out and hear you 
just zing at the opponent. They want to hear. I used to do it with Speaker O'Neill. With him, I'd be just, I'd just knock out these lines. He didn't like them all, but I'd knock out some lines, and he'd say, great. Reagan with a, or Hoover with a smile. He liked those lines. He didn't walk a mile for a camera. I mean, because Reagan was like that. He was a movie cat actor. And a big smile. It's have some fun. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. Is Kamala Harris Biden's biggest problem? Yeah, because in the end, in the end, they'll probably run ads against her. And for the racial reasons, obviously, that's always in the background of America. And But by the way, that's not how things happen. Because if he gets a little slow or something gets whatever, if something starts to show in four or five years, the, the chief of staff will take over the uh, Mrs. Reagan or Mrs. I think that the people fall in around the guy and help him out. That's what always happens. They don't happen with I mean, Reagan. with right. Wilson, President Wilson. Yeah, absolutely. That's what happens. And I think it's not something to look forward to, but it's, they're not going to turn it over to somebody. The VP is not deputy president. <laughs> right. That's a delusion. That's the last person who's deputy president, the vice president. Call him in to help us out. No way. <laughs> All right. So you invoke Tip O'Neill. If you had to distill one, one lesson from Tip, loyalty. That you would pass on loyalty. loyalty. Dance with the one that loyalty. I, I had my own views that I obeyed whenever I could. I always obeyed him. I, I went with what he thought, but I had my own views. And I remember when was it two. Th- 84, 1984, it was Mondale overwhelming Gary Hart. But I like Gary Hart. He was, he, I liked it. Tip did not like it. Speaker did not like Gary Hart. <laughs> Gary Hart brought in the McGovern crowd. He knocked him off. The, he wasn't a delegate. Dick Daly wasn't a delegate. All the regulars were out. They remembered who led the band. But I once said something in a paper with Steve Roberts, Cokie Roberts' husband. I said, I think we had good candidates out there, Mondale and, and Gary Hart. <laughs> He called up, Mondale called up Tip in the morning. Was like, What's this guy, your guy saying, there's two candidates out there? And he called me up in the morning. He said, what did you say about Barry Harden? What did, Mondale's all over the place. What's going on? <laughs> Loyalty is everything in this business. Yeah, I heard that. And uh, I mean, I was worried. I'd blown it. Luckily, I got Roberts to explain there was a, some kind of typo in the paper. <laughs> I wasn't going to take the bullet on that. I was, oh. too, was too risky. You know what? That's a good There's a dro- for... dropped line. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They right. screwed up the teletype. Oh, they took whatever. it out of context. Oh, my and I, I needed that from Steve. All right. Because you make mistakes if you're talking. I mean, I had this job for six years. I, I made mistakes. What's your what's and he was right. A, almost, he was right. Stopper. He was right most of the time. He wasn't always right. But he's the boss. He thought if I got him an interview and it turned out to be bad, I'm like, Mr. Speaker, I got this job because you gave it to me. I'm not hanging out with these guys because I like them. What's your favorite memory from your time as a staffer? I'm in the room with him, and Leo Deal was his oldest top guy. They'd been in the House together in the Senate, and they were in the great and general court in the 19th. And he had given up his seat so Tip could have his seat. That's how close they were. And he couldn't walk. He had to reach crutches, and he, but he was an inside guy. I mean, and, Absolute inside guy, like Biden's people today. They're all inside people. They're not. They're not out having interviews. There's no Jody Power, Hamilton Jordan in this crowd. There's nothing right. like them. We're in the back room, and Reagan. He had just taken, made a statement, and then Reagan had come back, and said that he was a demagogue, and about Social Security or about he was born on the wrong side of the tracks or something like that. And Reagan was defending himself and rather indignantly. 
because they were getting along pretty well then and they were after it's well but so tip's sitting in the, in the room with him standing in the room with the four or five of us around and he's deciding what he's going to do should i let it go should i let it go and he could turn to me and said what do you think and i said i think this is the time to go i think you have to take him on and he went into the men's room he combed his hair he put on some kind of spray i don't know what it was it may have been cologne i don't know what it was but he was ready to go up to the by the way he had Proving your hair lasts longer than you think. He had the worst dandruff of anybody. Uh, he didn't lose an, a, a single hair before he died. Uh, he had every yeah. hair left, and but he had to brush it off. And he went up, and he he went up to the. He said, "I'm going up to the gallery. Tell him I'm coming up." That meant to the TV press gallery, and he took him on. And the next day, the next later that night, I think Reagan called him up and said, "Let's get together," and and that was the end of it. They just decided they're gonna. They're going to be able to deal with each other. It was very challenging, and I got hired two weeks later as his AA. So good advice. I've been other times I was wrong. I let him do a lot of feature articles that I did probably didn't benefit from. I always say, give him people to let him get him to let the people see him and distill through all the letters, all the articles written. They'll get a clear picture of. There'll be some disagreement, but they'll get a picture of this guy, and they're going to decide he's got a big heart, and he's a good guy and the right kind of liberal. And he was 65% when he left. I mean, he was much more popular. People figured that they liked him. And it's not going to happen if you hide the guy. And you got and it's easy for me to say, because they're not taking shots at me. Yeah. They're taking shots at him. And he right. felt every one of them. He hated that stuff. Hmm. He hated it. Everybody does. Everybody hates bad press. Yeah, I didn't like it much. It's, it's, yeah. my, my brother Jim has ran for city. Commissioner of Montgomery County in Pennsylvania, and he all oh, the the right that's horrible stuff. They're all going to jail. They're all crooks. The the stuff in Philly is always like that. The old clipping, they always get an old clipping of black oh, and yeah. white. And they show in 1963, a, 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 a driver stopped for DUI. Just something like that. And you go, why they do? That? And and what do you get out of that? What's your funniest story? It could be from your TV career. Could be from oh, geez, your, a, what's your what was the point that you think back on and it's like your, your well, go-to you cocktail? I'll tell you some good stories. I'll tell you, these are good stories. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty honest about these things. When I first went to the Hill, I, I'd been to Peace Corps in Africa. I was very proud of that part of my life. I mean, I was running a big industrial show in, in Swaziland in the country, and I'd been teaching business on my motorbike for two years and hitchhiked through Africa and all. I went to Israel for a while, and I loved it, and uh, the old city, and I finally got... To America, and I started knocking on doors looking for a job. I thought I could be a speechwriter. I don't know why I thought I could. I'd never written a speech, but I thought I could be a speechwriter. So I started out with the Irish Catholic guys thinking, I went to Holy Cross, I went to Peace Corps, they'll appreciate this. And so I went to a guy named Cornelius Gallagher from New Jersey. What a great name. He's from Hudson County. Yeah. I didn't know the whole story. So I walked into his office and I've been walking around door to door getting looking for a job. And he just stopped me from behind me and he said, what are you here for? What are you doing here? And I said, well, I'm, I was 25. And he said, well, what are you doing? I'm looking for a job. I want to be on the foreign affairs committee and you're on the foreign affairs committee. And, and he showed me a plaque on the wall with Johnson's pen used to authorize the bill and Peace Corps bill. And he's very proud of that. And he said, you don't want to be one of the foreign affairs because you want to be in LA in my office. And I go, I thought I had, it was magical. I said, the Irish guy hired me in, in Jersey and, it turned out I kept calling the office and finally the A said, he'd tell Matthews, you couldn't work it out. Couldn't oh. work it out. 
Then I find out later that the, because this is the day before phones and cell phones, that the Life magazine, back when it was a big investigative magazine, had done a big expose on him as a mobbed up member. Oh, no. He was mobbed up. Oh, no. They got him taped, wiretapped, taking orders from a guy, a local mob boss, a capo, to protecting his gambling operation. And not, they had him cold. And I thought, I guess he had enough. Then they took him off. The, they didn't. He won the next election, but the next election, they, they got rid of him. They, they gave it to Dominic Daniel, another member from that area. <laughs> they dropped him, the, the local polo, political machine. And so later on in his career, later on in his life, he's up in Columbia. I think it was over a mob hangout up along the, the Delaware <laughs> River. I got to know him. I'd call him up and we'd chat and stuff and, and became friends because he watched me on, the, on my show all the time. And uh, a couple of years ago, uh, his daughter, one of his, he had five or six daughters. One went to St. Joe's, Mount St. Joe's near Philly. And he called up and said, my dad wants to talk to you before he passes. And I talked, I told him I love the guy and everything. And, and uh, he died the next day. Wow. Mm. The other one w was when I had that big fight on TV with Zell Miller. Mm -hmm. And, and Zell Miller, I wish we could live in a time when, you could challenge a man to a duel. That was pretty oh, good. And that was this big back and forth, stupid fight. So I wrote him a letter later on. And I said, I think neither of us looked that great that night. But, and I think it would be great to just settle that. He wrote me a, I've got it, a beautiful letter. Handwritten. Yeah. He said, that was the best thing I'd ever gotten in my life. And I, people have feelings. They Even when you think I look good on television, they still have feelings. They go, I don't know. I look like a clown. I mean, asking a guy to a duel. What kind of thing is that? <laughs> and. And and he died, but he, he we were buddies. And the other one, because I took that seriously, I went back to my president of my network who was on the phone. Of course, he's on the phone with me saying, keep him on the phone. It's like a guy trying to trace a, <laughs> trace one, like, and I go, whatever, keep on. I love it. Come on over to here. Why don't you come over here tomorrow? We got to come on over here to come over to our site. This is fun. The people can't wait to have you. The people are cheering and all loving this on the street. This on 34th and Broadway. Everybody's cheering. And he says, no, come on over. And I'm just taunting him. And, he's, and this guy keeps, stay on him, stay on him, like in the movies. That's know? in your earpiece. Yeah, yeah. And he's in my earpiece saying. It's great TV. You, you got you to keep this on. The, uh, as oh, We're tracking him. We think we got him. <laughs> anyway, I thought the next day, I said, went back to my producers. And I said, everybody said, don't say a word about this to anybody. This guy may mean it. I, I He looked at me like he mean, like we're going to have dueling pistols along the Hudson. I may be a little crazy, but I thought, what's going on here? You don't talk about having a duel with somebody. Man. But obviously, he... Senator Mark Wayne Mullen just did it in a Senate hearing. So let's have a fist fight. It's alive and well. That's a deterioration of our... That's a, I think. Bob Dornan was going to go. Bob Dornan robbed, got a, a guy from... Got a Democrat rather by the neck. I remember that. <laughs> yeah, who was the early senator? Was it Charles Pickney? There was yeah. a cane beating. Yeah, caning. Caning. Yeah. Oh, that never happened to you. It you no, it never happened to me. Things were pretty calm when I was there. And Charles uh, Robert Dornan. There was a great Robert Dornan. He was the guy. He's the nephew of the guy in the Wizard of Oz, you know. And uh, he had an amazingly smart comment. He said, "If a if somebody arrived at a flying saucer from another planet and arrived in the chamber, they would be able to spot the speaker. Would be tipping. He's the leader. That yeah. guy. So, <laughs> New Hampshire used to have characters. Maybe we still do have some." Uh, not as much anymore. Not as much. I mean, I'm not a congressman. Without so, you, yeah, you know, you know. Like the whole state is. It used, to be all, it used to be all Republicans up in this part of the country. Right. Uh, the whole Northeast. 
Clifford Case of New Jersey. I mean, who would have thought way back then they, they, Pennsylvania had two Republicans? Right. It was normal forever, this North part. Now the whole Northeast is Democrat, pretty much. And, and the South's all Republican. And it's different, too, it's because when Paul was preceded in Congress by Charlie Bass, a famously moderate Republican, and actually succeeded in Congress by Charlie Bass, Paul and Charlie get along famously. And Charlie's chief of staff and I, we maintain a vibrant text debate about all kinds of issues. It's, by the way, it's a different but, time. But you're also admitting to the truth that nobody wants to. It's much easier to get along with the others. Yeah, it is so much harder to get along. Right. Two it senators to be two senators here. That's an interesting because they're competing to do the same job. It's just reality. Right. There's yeah. nothing wrong with it. It's just they used to say, "Who is the guy from South Carolina with that great accent?" Fritz. Oh, Fritz, uh, Fritz Holland. Fritz Holland. Lampoon. Yeah, he, right. he talked like lampoon. And he's always there's the big words. The senator from Benet Brith. Remember that? <laughs> he, he got away with that stuff you cannot say you anymore. Cannot say that anymore. And he, he, was, he would get away with that and. And he would say, his, his, his staff guy told me, the great thing about having a senator, the other senator from the other party, is you don't have to pretend, even pretend you like him. It is a different time, though, because every former colleague of Paul's that we have on, we ask them about this. Like, what's the vibe like behind the scenes with the Republicans? And they'll say, it's not like that anymore. There's no text friendships going on between no, Chip and staff. Phil Conti were buddies. Yeah. Phil Conti. Very different. Playing cards every Friday night. Just yeah. Really, mother, wife's friends. Totally. Uh, Jack was uh, Jack Kenny was friends with uh, a guy from Kentucky, senator, a Republican guy. When I when I got to Congress, we were having regular freshman dinners with Kevin McCarthy, who had came come in at the same time I was. Yeah, we were having we were having dinners. We'd we'd have these great dinners. And then, of course, we'd get out on the floor the next day and they 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 try to. OK, they, I'll give you my best story. Oh, OK. This is, see, I'm glad we didn't stop recording. This is always happening. Thursday nights when everything happens, right? right. You're a congressman. Yes. All week is Tuesday, you open debate. Wednesday, right. a general debate. You have amendments. And then finally, on Thursday, you have, you close it down. So the minority leader speaks, the majority leader speaks, the speaker speaks, and everybody's in the floor. Yes. Just like in the movies, just like Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Right. Everybody's there. And it has a real emotion. Because the leaders have written their speeches, they've worked on them, they've, they really at their best, and they can really lay into it. People really cheer the leaders. They sound like leaders. And so I was watching Thursday debate, and there's a guy on both sides arguing with each other. And when it was over, the Republican guy, I, I, was, in the, I was just hanging around the first row of seats. And the guy on the, on the other side of the aisle came over the aisle and said something to the guy he'd been arguing with. He said... What are you doing this weekend? Say hello to your wife for me. That's America. Yep. Right there. Because the, because their job was done and they liked each other and they wanted to make sure that stayed, that survived the debate. And you can say, what are you going to do this weekend? Like a normal human being and say to your, that you care about their wife and their family. I don't and that think. That is it. That's what America is. If we lose that, and we probably have lost it for a while. That that is it. If you're not in it for the country, what are you in it for? Just a person. Everybody's being ambitious. What's what's wrong with ambition? What's wrong with ambition? Everybody's ambitious. It's you care about the country. Yeah, you do. You and do. We appreciate it. Thank we you. really do. Fascinating discussion. All right, Chris Matthews, Beyond Politics. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks. Great show.